The epistle lesson selected for this evening's service is from 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, beginning at verse 23. St. Paul writes, Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Out of respect for the Lord, we rise to hear the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel of St. Mark, the 15th chapter, beginning at verse 25. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from that cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and they gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. Please be seated as we sing our next hymn.
The night will soon be ending, the dawn cannot be far. Let songs of praise ascending now greet the morning star. All you whom darkness frightens with guilt or grief or pain, God's radiant star now brightens and bids you sing again. Yet nights will bring their sadness and rob our hearts of peace. And sin in all its madness around us may increase. But now one star is beaming whose rays have pierced the night. God comes for our redeeming from sin's oppressive might. God dwells with us in darkness and makes the night as day. Yet we resist the brightness and turn from God away. But grace does not forsake us, however far we run. God claims us still as children through Mary's infant son. Well, God's grace, mercy, and peace is yours through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Well, the texts for this evening's message are the two readings I read to you earlier from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and also Mark chapter 15. If you watched the service last Wednesday evening, you'll know that I began the sermon series entitled, God Wears Masks, or The Masks That God Wears. And I started off that sermon by talking about an incident that happened to me when I was shopping in Meyer grocery store. As I was wandering through the meat section, someone greeted me saying, Hello, Pastor. How are you doing? And I looked at that masked person and I responded, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't recognize you behind that mask. I didn't recognize you behind that mask. That's how we often, I think, should refer to God. Because you see, God wears masks. And last week I laid out for us kind of a foundation of how it is that God does wear masks. And today I want to specifically begin to focus in on some of the masks that God wears. So what are some of the masks that God wears? Well, if we take a look at that pathetic man hanging on a cross, fastened to that cross with washers and bolts. If we look at that man and think about him, I mean, here's this man who claimed to be a rabbi, but also the Son of God. Hanging on that cross, this man, this rabbi, doesn't seem to be God, does he? I mean, it doesn't look much like God to me. I mean, he's the ragged king of the Jews. 
he is surrounded by two despicable fiends, two thieves. He is shamed. He's mocked. He's tortured. I mean, he's a suffering soul. And by his own admission, as we heard in our gospel reading for tonight, he's God-forsaken. I mean, if he were God, he wouldn't be in that rehensible situation. He wouldn't be fastened to that cross and those bolts, would he? He wouldn't be subject to such violence. I mean, if he was God, he would smite his mockers, wouldn't he? If he were God, wouldn't a legion of angels descend from the heavens to slay the Roman guard? And if he were God, wouldn't he be sitting on a throne in a majestic palace where world leaders could flock to him and he could give them sage advice? But Isaiah the prophet reminds us he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. There was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. If he were God, but Jesus is God, isn't he? He's just got a mask on. He wears the mask of suffering. And and it's amazing to me, of all of the spectators who witnessed his crucifixion, there's one, only one, who saw behind the mask and recognized him for who he is. And did you hear who that was in the gospel reading? Of all people, it was a centurion. A Roman centurion who said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Oh my, I didn't recognize him behind that mask. I mean, the crucified Jesus doesn't look very much like God. It's no wonder that the gospel is foolishness to people and a stumbling block to so many people in this world. But then again, I might ask you, What do you expect God to look like? I mean, based upon God's promises in the Old Testament, dating all the way back to the Garden of Eden, why wouldn't we expect God to wear a mask, a mask of suffering? I mean, God promised that one of the descendants of Adam and Eve would crush the head of Satan while being bruised in the process. Psalm 22 is the voice of the Messiah's as he hangs on the cross being crucified. Isaiah 53 foretells that the Savior will be a suffering servant who will take up our pain and bear our suffering. That he'll be considered punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He'll be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace will be laid upon him, and by his wounds we will be healed. So why wouldn't we expect God to wear the mask of suffering? In these prophecies that I just shared with you, God's love for us is made manifest. 
I mean, God desires to repair the damage made by man's sin. And the way that God repairs the damage is that he who is holy becomes sin. God who is eternal subjects himself to death. Jesus talked about the necessity of him dying, of him suffering on numerous occasions. He did so with his disciples. And on one such occasion, Peter said that Jesus, he said, we will never let this happen to you. We will never let you be crucified. We won't let you suffer that way. And on that occasion, Jesus looked Peter in the eyes and he said, get behind me, Satan. For you see, Jesus was willing to wear the mask. In fact, he was eager to wear the mask of suffering. Oh, we probably would prefer a God who masquerades as an angel of light. But St. Paul says that's Satan's role. Satan masquerades in this world as an angel of light. Oh, we would probably prefer to have a God who makes the front page of Time magazine or People magazine or who's an internet sensation or who, using the popular buzzword these days, who's woke. Who fawns or who fans fawn over. Who lives in a fancy mansion in Beverly Hills. Well, we probably would prefer a God who's adorned in a Tommy Ford Windsor basekin three-piece suit who promises everyone that if you just listen to him and put his principles into practice, then he'll make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Yes, we want that God who gives us only mountaintop experiences and affirms our life choices. But friends, that's not the God who saves. The God who saves becomes flesh and blood. The God who saves subjects himself to violence. The God who saves is mocked by the millions. The God who saves is stripped of his clothing and exposed to to the public in shame. The God who saves is one who sheds his blood and dies. The God who saves is one who wears the mask of suffering. And he does so for you. And he does so for me. The very St. Peter who was rebuked for saying to Jesus, I will we'll never let you suffer, later on wrote in his, one of his letters, he said about the suffering Jesus, he said, Christ suffered and died for sins once for all. He never sinned and yet he died for us who have sinned. He died so that he might bring us to God. Peter got it. His God saves by wearing the mask of suffering. The merit of Jesus' suffering is sufficient to atone for the sin of every sin that has ever been committed in the past, the present, and the future. When Christ died on the cross, He died for every single sin that any person in this world commits. He died for all people. His once and for all atoning death needs no repetition As the writer to the Hebrew says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. One of the theologians I read as I was prepared for this sermon series made this comment, and I quote, The eternal God is veiled behind the broken body of Christ. 
Christ dons our masks of dishonesty and sinful empowerment and is crucified for this, for the sake of our unmasking. Here, wisdom means to see further than the broken body or rather to discover the presence of God in this broken body and to discern the power of this vulnerable God. God's Son, Jesus Christ, dons the mask of suffering so that we can remove the masks that cover us. Our vulnerable God invites us to be vulnerable, to take off the masks that we hide behind. And what might some of those masks be? Well, we might need to take off the mask of dishonesty. We might need to take off the mask of hypocrisy. We might need to remove masks that hide our worries and our fears and our brokenheartedness. We might need to remove the masks that hide our grief and loneliness. We can make ourselves vulnerable because our God made himself vulnerable by putting the mask of suffering on for us. And it's so hard for us to remove those masks, isn't it? Because as we remove those masks, we know that it might open us up to shame. It might open us up to judgment by self-righteous people who like to point the finger at us and make us shame us even more. We might want to not take those masks off because we know that it will really break our heart to do so. But as we take our masks off, Jesus, who put the mask of suffering on, takes us into his loving arms. And he assures us that because he suffered for us, our sins are forgiven. He remembers them no more. Jesus, God's Son, our Savior, also wears the mask of suffering so that he can empathize with us. That he can empathize with us in our misery and sustain us through those times of suffering that we endure in our life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew what it meant to suffer and engage with suffering. In one of his letters from a prison cell as he awaited execution at the hands of the Nazis, he stated in, from his place of despair, only the suffering God can help. St. Paul makes a similar claim in the text that I read tonight. In that epistle lesson that I read earlier, Paul lists a litany of the ways in which he suffered as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And yet Paul says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And then one chapter later, he says why it is that he can boast. Because in his struggles, as he was dealing with, with this thorn in the flesh, Jesus came to him and said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul concludes, he says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and in persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Bonhoeffer... St. Paul and countless other Christians have come to learn that as they've gone through their times of suffering, that they can cast their worries and their burdens and their fears 
onto Him who wore the mask of suffering. And He understands. He gets it. He empathizes. And in fact, He invites us to come to Him and He will give us rest. I love this passage from Hebrews 4 and I refer to it often. But in Hebrews 4, we're told God is able to empathize with our weaknesses for He who has been tempted in every way and has suffered in ways that we will never experience invites us to approach His throne of grace with confidence, certain that we will receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, I don't know all the suffering that you're going through. In fact, I really don't know any of the suffering you're going through. But I do know the one who wore the mask of suffering. And tonight he invites you to lay all of your worries and fears, all of the pain and misery that you're experiencing on him. Take it to him in prayer. And he will relieve you of your burdens as he reminds you of his continual love and presence. You will receive mercy from him. You will find grace from him to help you in your time of need. We who are followers of Jesus Christ, we deny ourselves and we take up our crosses and we follow him. We follow him to the Garden of Gethsemane. We follow him into the Hall of Judgment. We follow him along the Via Dolorosa. We follow him unto death. We follow him because we know the suffering one promises that whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Because of the suffering servant Jesus Christ, our suffering in this world is not meaningless. It is actually the part, it is actually part of the total plan of God who has chosen to redeem us through the pathway of suffering. Jesus promises that we who suffer with him shall also be raised with him. He promises that we will follow him through the gates of heaven. And then we will see that our Lord no longer wears a mask. We will simply behold his welcoming, smiling face. As St. John says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Or in the words of Job, after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my very own eyes, I and not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.